Well, as you remain standing, let us pray. Gracious Lord, we praise you this day for he is risen. Father, thank you for the the incredible offer that you lay before us, the incredible work you have done for us. And so, Father, we ask that you would open your word to us now that we might hear again that he is risen and we might fall on our knees in worship. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Those are the words that the angel pronounced to Mary, Mary, and Salome as they arrived at the tomb to anoint the body of their dead friend. They had watched as their master and teacher was crucified, and now they have come to serve him as he had served them. They had thought that the large stone that sealed the tomb would be the biggest problem that they faced that day. Little did they know that something miraculous, something incredible had happened. Something that no stone or, dare we say, lockdown could prevent. No, the stone would not be a problem for them, but they are left with a problem. It's a different problem. It's an amazing problem. You see, they came to anoint the body of Jesus. Well, it turns out his body is not in the tomb. He is risen. You know, it's tempting after over a year of COVID as we walk into yet another lockdown. It's tempting to say, I need to hear that more than ever. It's very tempting to say that. It's been a bit of a year, hasn't it? But the truth of it is, there's not a single day that goes by when I don't need to hear that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. He's alive, friends. I tell you the truth. He that suffered and died for you is now risen and alive and seated at the right hand of the Father where he lives to make intercession for me and for you. He is alive. Now we could spend the rest of our time together today looking at the evidence of that. What are the things that I could point to that show that Jesus literally bodily rose from the dead and is alive? And I mean, that would actually be a really good use of our time. In fact, I teach a class on that. You should maybe have that sometime soon. But that's not what we're going to do this Easter. This Easter, we're going to talk about why it matters. Events can happen and they make no difference in the world. Why does the truth that Jesus rose from the dead make any difference at all? Let's face it, it's easy to look around at the state of the world and wonder if it does. 
Why do I need to hear this each and every day? Jesus Christ is risen. Well, any exploration of Jesus and the gospel would be incomplete if we did not turn to J.R.R. Tolkien and the Lord of the Rings. In the third book of that great series, fittingly titled The Return of the King, the faithful hobbit Samwise Gamgee meets his old friend Gandalf again, and he says this, Gandalf, I thought you were dead. But then I thought I was dead myself. Is every sad thing going to come untrue? What's happened to the world? A great shadow has departed, said Gandalf. And then he laughed, and the sound was like music. He's risen, my friends, and it is music to our ears. He is risen. Everything sad is coming untrue. what the resurrection is. It's music to our ears because by his resurrection everything has changed. A shadow is being driven out of the world as sin is atoned for and death defeated. And one of the results of that is that we now have a desire that perhaps we didn't even realize we had exposed. You seek Jesus, the angel says to the women, and they certainly did. I am here to tell you that those words, the pronouncement of the angel, are just as true for them as it is for every single one of us. You who seek a better world, you who seek lasting joy, you who seek peace and love, you who seek excitement and adventure, even you who seek prestige and glory, what you really seek is Jesus. You just may not know it yet. You see, each and every one of us were made in the image of God, and so we bear the stamp of our Father. Our sin and rebellion have separated us from our Father, but we continue to bear this stamp even while it is marred by our sin. We've forgotten the face of our Father, but we long for Him. We long for the communion with Him that Adam and Eve had before their rebellion, before their rebellion ushered in sin and death to the world. Our souls cry out in restlessness to be put to rest in the presence of God. Without even realizing it, we long for Jesus. We seek Jesus. But since we have forgotten, since we are marred image bearers, We turn this longing for Jesus into something else. It's where the the sin of idolatry is born. Seeking the ultimate rest for our souls, we just keep seeking and seeking and seeking and looking for something that will give us what we long for, but we don't find it. Even if we get our hands on that thing, it turns to ash seemingly as quickly as we grasp it. 
It never gives us what we long for. It's because we human beings here today in present day Windsor, just as these faithful women, we seek Jesus. And nothing and no one will satisfy except him. It is this very idea that caused St. Augustine to open his confessions with a a line that many of you have heard before, because I quote it all the time. (laughs) You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. Without even knowing it, deep down, we seek Jesus. We need Jesus. And it is for that reason that the announcement of the angel that he is risen is music to our ears. Because since he is risen, since he is alive, he who would bring what our soul longs for so desperately is available to us. One cannot have relationship with a dead man, so it's a good thing our God is not dead. Jesus is alive today. That is what the resurrection has accomplished to us and to all people. He is there to be received, to bring rest to restless souls. He is risen. Now you would think then that we would be thrilled to hear it. That we could barely contain ourselves. But we're actually like the women at the tomb. The angel tells the women that Jesus has risen, and they run for the hills. They're afraid. Well, why would they do that? In their defense, they had seen an angel and been told that the one that they love and had followed as, as master, the one that they believed to be Messiah... The one they believe to be dead, well, it turns out he's not in the tomb. He's alive. Maybe we can cut him some slack. I'd be a little freaked out myself. And perhaps we can cut them some slack because their physical reaction mirrors oh so closely what our common spiritual reaction is. We hear the announcement of the open tomb and the risen Christ. We hear the good news that rest and reconciliation can be found with the Father, that it's there for the taking, and we run as fast as our little legs will carry us, not towards him, but away from him. Why would we do that? Why would we run from the hope of having our soul's deepest longing finally fulfilled? It's because we experience fear. Just as the women did, we experience fear, but we experience it for a very different reason. We experience it maybe because of what I've already said. That if Jesus Christ is risen, it's the thing that changes everything. As Paul writes in Colossians, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth, for you have died. To know Jesus, to love and serve him as God the Son, 
means that all parts of me, all parts of my life, all of who I am are his. And that sounds kind of terrifying. And actually, the first word of our passage, we have if in our translation, it should be since. Since would actually be a better translation here. Because Paul's not making a conditional statement. Since Jesus is risen. And since you have, through the extension of his grace, risen with him, you're to seek the things that are of God and not of this world. We hear that and we run. Because I kind of like my life. I like the things of the world, Paul. Because I want to fit in. I want my neighbors to see me walking down the street and think that guy's got it together. I want other people to like me. And Jesus doesn't fit with that. No, I don't think I'll seek the things that are above. That's just going to mess things up. Our fear is of the implications for our life. And that fear keeps us from receiving the life-changing truth that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Sometimes, though, it's not the fear that things will change that keep us from him. I see this much more with people of my generation and younger. I got perhaps a scary news flash for some of you here. Most demographers put my birth year with the millennial generation. Turns out you all have a millennial for a pastor. Some of you are ready to run faster than when you hear that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead at this point. Many in the millennial and the Gen Z camp, it's not that they fear change. We look at the world and we think, actually, you know what? I could do with some pretty significant changes. It's not the fear of change, but there is still fear. There's a desire for change, but the desire is there as long as we remain in control of it. We want change in our image. We want to decide the rules. We want to decide the outcomes. The two most common slogans that get thrown around by these generations are be the change you want to see in the world, meaning make the world in your image, go do it, and live your truth. And both are born of the yes sinful impulse to control. That I want to control everything. That life is about me. And you can't tell me that anything I say or do is wrong because I'm living my truth and my truth can't be wrong. And we think that because we are desperately afraid of what it would mean for someone else to have control of my life because it's mine. And that is a sinful, self-idolatrous heart. Previous generations, I would argue, the more common sin, the more common idolatry was the idolatry of things, of materials, right? The nice house, the white picket fence, two and a half kids, etc. Right? 
Now, it's more common to make an idol of ourselves, to worship me, who I've created myself to be, who I am, my identity. We worship it. Different impulse, same problem, same result. We run from Jesus, and all of it is born out of fear. Now, if that's my impulse, why is it wrong? What's the problem, really? Why should I drop to my knees in praise and thanksgiving because the tomb is empty? Let's take a closer look at what Paul says here in Colossians. It's tempting to look at this section from Colossians and think that Paul is just telling his church, you all, go live better than you've been doing. Go focus on heavenly things. Leave here, think God thoughts, and everything will be great. What he's doing is more about showing them who Christ has made them to be. That is where all of this is rooted. And all of that starts with the truth that Jesus is risen and is alive. He says this, Since, as we heard, since then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Now, this can sound a little weird to us, because what does it mean that I've been risen with Christ? I'm sitting right here. It's about the new life that Jesus creates in you, that is offered to you because he is alive. That all who believe in Jesus are raised with him to new life. But for that to be true, that means who I was before believing in Jesus is no more. That life has been put to death. And that should be an announcement that brings joy to our hearts as sin and death is put to death in us. But it terrifies us because we love our life. Paul makes this absolutely explicit in verse 3. You have died, he says. It's, what, it's the truth that he then goes on to expand more fully in Galatians. Where he says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's the new life that Paul's referring to. By the crucifixion, the old person is put to death. The sinful heart, the idolatrous longings, they are nailed to the cross and the new person is given life. Why would we want that? Because it's way better than what we've been constructing for ourselves. I mean, for how many years have we been trying to construct our own identity, our own happiness, our own longings on the things of this world? How long have we been grasping at them and still we long for something else? How's it all been working out for you? So much of our life is spent like a dog chasing his tail and then we finally catch the thing and we bite down and it hurts. And it's all because what we're chasing will not give that lasting fulfillment. The fact that we have been raised with Christ by faith changes all of that. Because it means you belong to him. That we are his. You have died, Paul says. And that sounds terrible, but then we keep reading. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. 
The old me has been put to death, not for no reason, but so that my life can be secured and given to me from Jesus, that I am his now and for all eternity. And you know what that means? You remember back at the beginning of the sermon? Started talking about being made in the image of God. That each one of us bear his stamp. You know why God created you? Because he loves you. He didn't have to create you. And it's not like he created some people and thought, well, now I'll just create more. They're so great. He did it because he loves you. He wants you with him. He wants to be with you. Jesus in the upper room, as we read through Lent, he prays that the Father would bring his people to where he is to be with him forever. Because of the resurrection, that's a possibility. We can be with Jesus. We can be who we were created to be. One who is in relationship with our Father. One who is loved by him so much that Christ would die for them. Who loves you so much that if you had been the only person on the planet, he still would have died for you. All of that's found in Jesus. That's why Paul can say that our life is in Jesus. That he himself is our life because he's the one who gives it to us. And it's his desire to keep us with him into glory. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. That's the destiny for all who believe in Jesus. To be with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for all time. It sounds like a whole lot better than the life I try to construct on my own. But it only happens through the old me dying and being raised to new life. And it's on his terms, not mine. Sad to say. Not really. You who look at the world and see the need for change, Jesus offers that perfect change. But it won't be on your terms. You who are fearful of what life submitted to Christ will look like and what it will mean for your day to day, your life is secure in him. You are made his very own child and nothing can take that away. But it's going to be on his terms. Paul opens this section by pointing us to the risen Jesus alive and seated at the right hand of the Father. That's not a meaningless image. It's the posture of the one who's in charge. The one who is ruling over all things. And that is who your life is hidden in. Who holds all things together because he is alive. Yeah, that's something I need to hear every day. Because that gives you a new perspective, doesn't it? It means we don't need to fear the coming days or months. It means we don't need to worry about where things are headed or what will happen next. It means my world doesn't crumble because of the latest election result or the latest thing that somebody posted online. 
My God is alive and he reigns above all. But it means submitting to him. It means saying, Lord, take away the fear that I have. Help me not to run from the empty tomb, but to fall upon my knees and praise you. And we can submit to him because it turns out he's a king worth submitting to. He who has done this work, he has done it out of his love for you. I only quoted part of Galatians earlier. Here's how it ends. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's a king we're submitting to. The resurrected Jesus is not one who ignores the problems of the world. He's the one who gave his very life that you might have new life in him all out of his sheer grace and love. What a better world it is for it. What a better hope we have. Because if Jesus is who he claims he is, if he is truly and bodily alive today, that means life with him ultimately is a life free of sin and suffering. It's a world where every tear is wiped from every eye, where all sad things come untrue. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Alleluia, Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. It's the truth that changes everything. It's the moment that brings life to the world and secures our eternity. My dear friends, by faith, Cast aside your fear. By faith, cast aside the idols that you have trusted in. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, and it is music to our ears. By faith, embrace the risen Jesus and find in him what your soul has always longed for. Let's pray. Father, thank you that Jesus is risen and he is alive. Thank you, Father, that by your grace you came to rescue us. I pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts and our our eyes and our minds and our ears that we might see and hear and know you and love you with all that we are. That you would drive us to the cross to find your saving work. That those of us who know you might be reminded that those of us who don't might see you for the first time. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.